that's just that's perfect for the doctor because I think that's kind of what you need in order for the doctor, especially when you have a more serious moment. Tom Baker was able to really express that the power behind him, and I think. The doctor, even though he doesn't always want to be a powerful, godlike creature, in a lot of ways he is, and in a lot of things that he does, he has to be, because um, he has to totally. he has to use his the power of his words and the power of how he talks as one of his main lines of defense. And you don't think that Matt Smith had some epic speeches in there? He definitely oh, I'm not did. saying that he didn't have no, any epic speeches. Did. I mean, obviously, you've got Rings of Akatan, you've got uh, Pandora Open. Pandora Opens, but I mean, you've got you don't put me in a trap. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that. I, I just think that he's overall. I mean, granted, I like Matt Smith probably more than Colin and Chase um, do, uh, because I immediately I liked him in the very first episode he was in. Um, and I think that's just because that was a really damn good episode. It took Thank me you. a lot of time to grow into Matt Smith. Yeah, and and to be fair, my opinion might be a little skewed just because the first one I watched was A Good Man Goes to War, and it was when he did his his epic speech there, the Colonel Runaway one. That yeah. like that's when I fell in love with Doctor Who. Okay, and I think I might be a little biased because I think Matt Smith was also my ex best friend who got me into Doctor Who and then made me hate it. Favorite Doctor, to where she would always wear, like, the bow tie and, like, whatever these things are called. Suspenders. But, to an- <laughs> yeah, to answer your question, Shelby, I don't think I'll talk on this podcast because I'm a very big note-taker, so if I'm going to speak on something, I don't want to speak out of my ass. I kind of want to write things down, plan out certain points I would like to make. Gotcha. So I, like, I like to think about a few things and, like, go over it a little bit. Like, I like to brought little moments that I can think about, but I'm totally, mostly pulling it out of my ass. Yeah, because you need to improv, but, like, you know, I want to make sure, like, I have, you know, my input that's, like, this is what Jace's takeaway from it. Like, what is my unique kind of, you know, giving into this podcast? But now that that Shelby planted that seed, now I'm like, okay, maybe I could maybe do next week's podcast. Are you sure you don't want to do this week's? Because you've just talked very passionately about Doctor Who without looking at notes. But then I'm going to get sage fright. <laughs> I'm going to be like, this is very goosebumps. So, so, so wait, so, so you know how, like, a lot of uh, parents will teach their kids to ride a bike by, like, you know, they'll run alongside them and eventually they'll, like, let go and the kid doesn't know they've let go? How would you feel if we did something like that to you, like, over the last five minutes? What do you mean over the last five minutes? We've like, been recording this. We've been recording this this whole time. That would be awesome. Honestly, the best way to go is just to trick me. No, no, actually, I'm, I'm not kidding. We've been recording this. What? And that can, and if you join the podcast, that can be our opener. No, 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 no. I am not, I am not going to the podcast to answer your question. All right, we've got you. our opening. Wow. Jason Welcome now on the podcast. You. Here I am, guys. Surprise, surprise. Hi, I'm Jace. I'm Shelby. I'm Colin. And Michael's here, too. <laughs> You're listening to the Whovian Review, and today we are going to uh, be talking about Fear Her.
ending with something positive about this story is that I really love how the doctor materializes his TARDIS and then realizes he can't get out of it. So then he has to rematerialize his TARDIS so that it's turned at a 45 degree angle so he can then get out. I, I'm, I'm like, okay, that's kind of realistic. So that never happens in Doctor Who. That's a, like yeah, that's a 90 like degree that. angle, but yes. <laughs> I also like how it said no parking on the side right next to it. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. The Doctor don't play by nobody's rules by his, but his own, and sometimes not even those. I, I think there's definitely a lot of camaraderie between Rose and the Doctor in this story, and that's one thing that I think sometimes people forget because of a lot of people's opinions in this particular story. But I, I did notice that there was definitely chemistry that, and, and Rose was not, I mean, I didn't find her that annoying in the story at all. Do you um, normally? No, not necessarily, but I do know that a lot of people, I, I can understand why some people would find her a little bit grating on the nerves, because that's definitely talked about mm-hmm. in Doctor Circles, but in, in this case, she's pretty solid, uh-huh. and I, I kind of appreciate it. Yeah, I thought she was solid in this episode, but I kind of disagree with you on the character development. I, th- I thought there was some tenderness, maybe some development towards the very end, but mostly I thought, you know, she was in a classic sidekick role. She she beefed up a little bit at the end, um, but I, I think it, instead of it being a really a, a development moment for Rose or the Doctor or the relationship between them, it's really a development moment for the Monster of the Week. We learn more about you know uh, this this alien spore that has come to Earth to uh, befriend Chloe Weber and well, well I, sorry, hang on. Before we uh, move on to that, I just want to address the character development thing because this is the first time in New Who that the Doctor's actually brought up that he you know had kids. So for a lot of people watching Doctor Who and starting in 2005, that was a big revelation. So for as far as character development goes, there was a little bit of that. Now, I grant you there wasn't a ton of character development, but they did throw that in there. And the fact that he, you know, told Rose that after, you know, traveling with her for quite a while seemed, you know, to be indicative of their relationship getting better. I noticed Jace pointed it out as soon as the doctor um, said that. I was like, how are you just going to mention the fact that you have kids and just walk away and just continue your random babble and just have Rose just there like, excuse me, back that up real quick? You had what? And then it was just like, oh, moving on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Can we just have a second to talk about how Rose was just randomly attacked by like a giant scribble? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That that was, Yeah. It was, she was literally attacked by a giant ball of graphite that looked like my hair after I took a shower, and then it just somehow shrunk. Well, no, the, the, the doctor shrunk it, but, like, how did it hurt her and, like, knock her over? I Maybe it was more her reaction to it than actually it knocking her over. Okay. It, I, I, I could see that. But, I mean, yeah, it, this in, in all of the monster lore, I'm like, or, or all the monsters of Doctor mm-hmm. Who... This has got to be one of the worst I've ever seen. I mean, I don't know about you. I can imagine, like, something I'd find a second in Charles where, you know, they have a whole page dedicated to a piece of graphite that somehow came out of a show as a giant menacing monster that had no relevance to the story whatsoever, really, because you never see anything like it again in the episode. It was just kind of there, very misplaced. 
Yeah, it was creepy, but it was totally irrelevant. Uh, it was very different yeah. from all the other scribbles that were kind of going on, you know, well, in the situation. Uh, although it was what clued them into the fact that it could be a kid. I mean, what yeah. Do you mean? Well, because it was a scribble, Rose was like, "Oh, it's a, it's like a, you know, a child scribbling out a drawing." But why did it have to manifest itself in that way? I mean, I feel like it would have made more sense if we had seen the dad going out to attack the kid, and it was made up of that same similar, like, scribble-like body. I feel like that would have been a good opportunity to kind of refer back to that and just kind of make it a little bit more creepier at the end. Yeah, I thought even just, like, the, the scribble of the, of the dad was, you know, kind of misplaced, too. And, and outside of the realm, I thought of most of the focus of the drawing and, you know, absorbing people into, you know, uh, uh, an imaginative reality or whatever. Oh, oh, okay, I, but, I never thought that was very well explained. Well, okay, but, like, if, you know, you don't put in the concept that the Isolus can create things from the drawings, then how does it pull people out of the drawings at the end? I think it's just it can reverse its processes, not, you know take um, abstract concepts and, and turn into other things. I, I didn't well, well, think that well, that was necessary. Well, it, it was because of what the description of the creature was, that they used this power to create other worlds to play in, which, frankly, I thought was actually kind of an interesting concept of these, you know, essentially spores that are empaths or, you know, play these extensive games in space with their invented realities. I would actually like to see an episode in the future where the Doctor gets trapped in one of those. It's been a long time since we've had an episode about the Doctor getting trapped in, like, a reality constructed by, you know, someone or something, and that would be kind of a cool thing. Well, that was this episode. We just never saw that perspective. No, I'm saying, like, if there's an episode in the future that they could bring back this creature but have them actually get trapped in one of the realities that these... Right, I'm just saying the Doctor was trapped. We just never got to see his point of view, you know, from that happening. Clearly, it seemed like they had memories and they were really relieved to get back. Everybody that was, uh, you know, transplanted back on Earth in 2012, you know, the Doctor and Rose's near future... But, you know, our now distant past. <laughs> it reminds me of Father's Day when Christopher Eccleston's ninth doctor disappears due to the um, fact that Rose changes time with her father um, in Father's Day. And I, I figure that it, it's very sim- it's kind of a similar concept in that the doctor just kind of disappears and then happens to reappear. That's a good point, and to throw a really sort of vague parallel in there as well is they're both kind of all the problems caused by a lonely child. Yeah, a very lonely child. No, I mean, like in Father's Day, too. I mean, Rose was feeling lonely. She missed her dad. Yeah. Yeah. Caused all those issues. I think that was a refreshing part of this episode, you know, that there's so many just, like, megalomaniac aliens coming in to be bad for the purpose of being bad but you know this one is more humanized you know even the doctor really understands and empathizes with its own empathy um you know that needs to belong needs to have others around it you know it it was really just guided by its kind of terror and loneliness which i I thought was nice you know even just like saying oh they can't be alone and bringing that up it, it kind of brought me back to a lot of sentimentality of my childhood where I had to make sure I finished every last Cheerio because I did not want it to be alone. Aww. <laughs> Aww. That's funny. <laughs> I, I do agree with that, 
but unfortunately, I think the realization um, of this child and the impact of, of the alien on her uh, could have been done a little bit better. I think part of it was the acting ability of this Agreed. particular uh, child. And uh, no offense to her, I mean, she's still learning, but I feel like it was very wooden performance and it was also just a very angry performance pretty much throughout. There wasn't a whole lot of other things going on. Well, true. Yeah, she definitely could have displayed the loneliness a lot better. I think it makes sense that, you know, she would be very driven by emotion the whole time, but you're right, it was very, uh, very stiff. Yeah, I think we wanted to be misled by the anger at first, but we never really got to see, you know, that depth of loneliness and despair or the real true empathy, you know, that was really described either. It it, it was played a little flat and one-dimensional. Also, just like the way it was written, too, is that there, there was sort of like the Isolus supposedly loved Chloe Weber, but then either it had to be that it thought it was helping Chloe, and therefore if it really loved her, like to just like abandon her suddenly seems pretty cruel. And then, you know, if it, you know, otherwise it knew that there were problems with it, just like it clearly knew that it wasn't good for the people to get drawn into the pictures, otherwise it wouldn't have threatened the mom with that. We also have to remember, though, that it's a, it's an alien child. That's and true. so it's probably going to have very... It, it's going to be kind of shallow in a sense, uh, especially if, if it's got a chance to go back to its brothers and sisters. It's going to want to do that um, pretty point. much instantaneously. And I don't know that it's necessarily taking away from its love for Chloe. I think, matter of fact, it relates to her because she's an isolated child. What do you think, Jason? Um... I think, just to backtrack a little bit, um, as far as Rose goes as her character, I've always kind of seen her as just like the really clingy companion that's just always by the doctor's side, almost like a little pet. But in this episode, I really liked I liked her role because, you know, she was in a position in which she was forced to be the doctor. Granted, she was a little bit kind of screamish about it, but she her action, her acting during it was very realistic. Like, she's like, okay, the doctor's gone, now I have to take over. I need him, but then she was just kind of like, um, do I really need him? And she kind of figured her way out about it. Granted, she was, like, banging on doors, getting really freaked out, was very unsure of herself, but she trusted, you know, everything the doctor, I guess, bestowed on her to be able to actually go through and make it work. Like, I think it was the doctor almost working through her to kind of, you know, get her the courage to actually you know, solve the problem, I guess. You know, that's a good point. Also, earlier in the episode, I felt like we saw, like, hints of that. I mean, I think you're right that it didn't really come out until, you know, she was forced to it because the doctor was gone. But, like, also, you know, she was the one who was just like, look, lady, this is, you know, an alien creature. (laughs) Let us deal with this. Yeah, and honestly, even before that, I think she was set up for success in the beginning. She's the one who went into the room, investigated, you know, all the drawings, everything that was going on. There was creepy stuff happening with that door, and she's like, okay, let's just open these up, see what's going on. Plus she noticed that the girl was, you know, sketchy. (laughs) Right. Yeah, she was on on the ball from the beginning. And she noticed that there was missing people signs on the pole, too. If you think about it, she really was the one to be like, hey, doctor, there's missing kids. Hey, doctor, there was a weird child here. Hey, doctor, we were just attacked by graphite. That might relate to a kid. As yeah, he's sitting the doctor there didn't do a whole lot. Ball <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gotta love those edible ball bearings. They keep coming up. 
one thing I wanted to point out about the doctor himself is that in this episode, I believe it's the first time that he tells everybody to shush and put their fingers to their lips, uh-huh. which comes up again in doing the Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi eras. But this is, a, I, I absolutely love that because everybody's like sh- arguing and shouting and talking all at once. And this is the first time you see David Tennant's doctor actually bring everybody around to say, okay, come on, come on guys. Um, I, again, I think some of the secondary characters, the acting again was a little bit, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the I thought older Chloe's woman, mom mom played the role well. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think yes. she had a lot of good. different, uh, you know, roles for different kinds of you know emotion. But I think she was spot on for her role. I, I thought I really appreciate her as a character. But yeah, the other ones like um, the tall big guy in the yard that confronts the doctor early on. Yeah, you know, just yeah. he's like an unbelievable person that doesn't exist that only exists in like cartoon versions of reality. To be a bully. <laughs> well, also the older lady was a little bit. I mean, yeah. I guess she could be more realistic, but it was just—I don't know. I, it was harder to believe her. She was kind of the, the one person that thought something was amiss, and nobody believed her, which is a very typical Doctor trope. Yeah, but, but her acting wasn't great. <laughs> no, not really. The, 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 it was just something seemed off in the story for me. I don't know. I think it was. I don't know. The common thing I've seen during this era in Doctor Who was just, like, the overacting, I guess. You know, playing too much on the mysteriousness of it. Like, the old lady, for example, she's like, something's wrong. It comes and does this. It comes and do that. does that. It's like, okay, but, like, what? And I get that she didn't get what, but you could have also, like, explained yourself a little bit more. Yeah. You know, you kind of just sounded like a kooky old woman. <laughs> the other characters at least gave a lot more, even though they didn't give anything at all. Yeah. Like, I liked I liked the old lady though, and I liked her at the end too. She's like, I don't know what you've done, but by golly, thank you, thank you, Billy Piper. Well, that was good. I, I do mm-hmm. like the, also the whole Olympic theme, where where obviously the doctor's running with the torch at the end. And matter of fact, just a side note: in 2012, when London actually hosted the Olympics, a lot of people wrote in to the authorities saying that they wanted David Tennant to be the one to run the torch. And Matt Smith actually, I, I think Matt Smith even brought, uh, did actually run the torch at one point, but it wasn't to the actual flame, obviously. Um, but uh, it would have been fun to have David Tennant actually do that. Yeah, it, it was. It feels unfair, you know, because like now we're we're looking back on this episode, you know, eight years after it was supposedly taking place. Um, you know, I think some six years in the in the future of which it originally aired. And like, by golly, I remember the Olympics, and I don't remember the doctor lighting the Olympic torch. <laughs> something yeah, something is wrong with the timeline here. What happened? How are we going to explain it? Okay, well, but, but we also haven't seen, you know, the Sycorax spaceship over London in 2006. Or the end of 2005, rather. You know? But that that which this happens story. out of the corner of your eye, which cannot be explained, you explain away. And that is what the world did at that time, Shelby. But it was all over right. the news. <laughs> but also, even in this story, we didn't see uh, 40,000 people disappear from the Olympic Stadium, either. Yeah. <laughs> but that would have been really awesome if uh, David Tennant had, had run that. Yeah, that would have been I, I, I can see why the guy who actually ran it there would have put up a heck of a fight to keep his spot. But. 
<laughs> it was early enough, you know, that it hadn't all been worked out, I'm sure. <laughs> huh, I guess it's time for ratings. All right, well, I guess I'll jump in and I'll, I'll rate first. All righty. So this episode, I, I, I did enjoy aspects of this. Um, you know, that uh, granted, you know, I think the, the acting could have been better for most of our characters in this. Um, there was some good things. Um, I think it was light on the character development. Um, I did find it, again, refreshing, you know, that this Monster of the Week really had uh, something to empathize with. It wasn't a single-dimension um, sort of enemy and villain. There was something more behind it, some more interesting motives. Um, but, you know, at the end, uh, this episode is fairly simplistic to me. It's fairly dull. Um, what it's going to get out of me is going to be a 6 out of 10. Wow. Jace, what did you think? Um, I think the best part about this episode, or the for me, the most redeeming quality in this episode, is probably just Rose's development as a character and her actually, like, becoming like someone that's really powerful and did really become the doctor for like a brief moment. Um, what I would have liked is what they typically do in doctor who is kind of give like insight as to who this child is and kind of understand why this entity took over her body as opposed to us just being exposed to this character and not really understanding the complexity and the reasons behind this thing going into this child. It would have added a lot more depth to the episode and I kind of missed out on that, unfortunately. Um, overall, since I'm a little bit biased when it comes to this Doctor, I don't think it was the best episode in the world. It had a lot of places to improve, but, you know, Rose, I think this was a really powerful moment for Rose, so I think I'm going to probably have to go with a 6.5 for that reason. And that reason alone, really. Alright. Um, yeah, I, I think that, um, honestly, this episode was kind of boring. There was, you know, not a whole lot that, that went on. It, it was, like Holland said, pretty simplistic. And, you know, but, and yes, and as we've all mentioned, the acting wasn't great from a lot of the characters. I did really like the concept of the Isolus. I, I think that it could have, you know, could be used again in a much more interesting story, kind of like, you know, the Naimon was in the Matt Smith era used in, in an actual interesting story. Um, yeah. But, yeah, this one, um, I thought it was great. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but uh, I'm going to give this one a 5.5. Okay. All right, Michael. Well, there are some interesting concepts that were brought out in this particular episode, and I don't think any of them were realized to the fullest potential. I think that the acting was subpar for most, for the most part, other than some of the key figures. Um, I believe that um, it was kind of a boring story. And I also think that um, I would have liked to have seen more... I agree with Chase. I think that the character of Chloe was pretty much an uninteresting character other than the fact that we know that she had uh, a father that passed away and a mom that cared a lot about her. We really didn't have any backstory or any other story as to why she was chosen other than just the single thing about the isolation. 
she's she feels isolated. Well, her, her father was abusive too, but yeah. Well, okay, yeah, that was true. But I mean, the, yeah, I guess I guess it was kind of a delicate subject for for a family show. So. <laughs> but I mean, overall, this story is kind of puts a kind of like bad feeling in my mouth, especially for series two, because series two actually had a lot of good episodes. This one seems very weak compared to the rest. I'm going to give this a three out of ten. Ooh, harsh. I know. I was pretty harsh, but uh, that's a consensus for a lot of people in in the doctor community. This is definitely towards the bottom, but I mean, I just, I didn't want to bring that up until the ending of, of everything because I figured that was fair. I think I just yeah. really like that. I thought that. your feelings were clear. Potential. It does. It, well, it has concepts. That's why I gave it three. And I think the concepts could have gotten better. It could have gone somewhere. I just don't think that the, the, true, the whole potential of the episode is there. And I think it would have needed to be a two-parter for us to get it there. But even then, it did really have a goofy premise to begin with. So I, even if there was a two-parter and we did go into these things, I don't know how great it would actually be. Yeah, I, I just, you know, the drawing of the ionic power, you know, that, that connection really didn't play out for me very much. Um, I, I feel like if that was connected better, I, I might be more satisfied. But for me, that's really a, a glaring hole, you know. It just was not explained very well from a science fiction perspective, you know, for my particular palette. I think another problem with this story is that there's, there's some very dark concepts in the story, and it's unfortunately very bright and brilliant and colorful and so all the drawings of all these people even though you, you would think that a kid would use color not necessarily a child would use co- that much color for something that they felt was that, that they were still feeling alone for and I feel like if they had maybe made it a darker looking story that might have at least given a little bit more atmosphere and a little bit more of that that feeling of isolation and yeah, I, I think that it probably has to do with the fact that the the father was abusive because I think that since that's such a dark subject, they like overcompensated by making the whole thing way too light, and it almost came off as you know taking it lightly type of thing. I mean, it, it was pretty campy the way that it was illustrated, and it, and it really could have done you know had more in-depth emotional reactions to things. Do you guys think that the whole, like, dad subplot really needed to be in there at all? No. no. Uh-uh. Right? So even if they took that out and actually made it darker, that would have like, been that was so just much so better. unnecessary. Like, yes. we knew nothing about the dad. We, she never explained anything about her relationship with her dad. It was just, oh, dad was abusive. He's now in a closet. Like, all right. And it just introduced a whole new power, you know, that was also unexplained in the situation where you could take abstract concepts and just draw them to life. You know, these full, you know, vast consciousnesses that are like the ones in your dreams that haunt you. Well, yeah, but again, the Isolus was described as these creatures that create these worlds, so their whole main thing would be, you know, doing that. But, yeah. I mean, fair enough, but it was the one example. I mean, if that was really happening, you know, you, you would think that, for defense, there would be some other drawings come out, coming out there to protect Chloe Weber while she draws. Yeah, and, that, you know. that's a good point. Yeah, the, there's a like I said, there's a lot of potential, but it, it fell flat on where it went. 
And there was plenty of time to, like, put in a lot of these things because the story did not have a lot going on. No, there was a lot of arguing between people in the street. (laughs) They spent a lot of time on the spaceship and the Olympics when they probably could have spent more time on the actual um, loneliness. I mean, the father's death could have been part of it, but it didn't have to be... We didn't have to go into... It could be that she missed her dad. Well, it could have been. It could have been that that there was a fear of the unknown, or the fear of him dying, was what manifested itself into this kind of dark version of her father. That would that would have explained things a little bit better, and, and may have may have actually been better for the story, so that you didn't have to make everything else so bright, and brilliant. Yeah, that's a good question, Jason. Yeah, I think that's probably the most frustrating things and uh, about you know stories sometimes when you can envision you know better paths and better better um, endings or better features than you know the person that told the story. It really you know is kind of a disappointment. Yeah, these people do this for a living. <laughs> well, at any rate, well that's a wrap. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, um, let, let us know what you think of the uh, new format that we're trying out here of, you know, having more freeform, open discussions between us, you know, before the episode and, and after the ratings. Um, let us know if you like it, don't like it, whatever. You can email us at thehoovingreview at gmail.com or post to our Facebook page. If you like it, hope you're telling your friends and hope you guys are all staying safe and sane out there. Take care. Bye. Adios. Peace. Bye.